Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 515 with Chef Johnny Hernandez. You know, Dad always told me, every person that ever speaks to you, and he was very respectful, right, my dad, a lot of discipline in his life, and every person that speaks to you, you know, you open your ears and listen, and you learn from everyone. That really stayed with me as as a young man, as a professional. You know, he said, you'll learn from, you know, the, the simplest person that crosses your path. You know, you may learn something. And, you know, like it's, and, and sometimes I'll tell my chefs, I go, you know, some of, some of the tricks of the trade, I learned from my dishwashers, right? You know, and, <laughs> you know. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Wouldn't it be great if you could play music directly from your Spotify account in your own restaurant without worrying about being pinched by the music police? Well, guess what? With Soundtrack, your brand, you can. Unlike Spotify Premium, YouTube, or Apple Music, Soundtrack, your brand is licensed for business use. And with SoundtrackYourBrand.com, you can import your favorite music from Spotify and share them directly with your guests. This deal typically goes for $26.99, but if you act now, you can get this deal for $19.99 per month per location for life. Get on it. Again, that's SoundtrackYourBrand.com or find the banner in the show notes. If you want new customers, more revenue, and a huge advantage over your competition, then listen up. My good friend and industry expert, Nick Fosberg, is doing something special for Restaurant Unstoppable listeners. He says most owners are wasting money on Facebook because our industry does not provide enough knowledge, and I got to say, I agree. So Nick is going to take some of our listeners and guarantee them a minimum of $500 in sales for every $100 they spend on ads. If not, they don't pay. Yes, that means he's guaranteeing a 500% ROI and new customers in your door. That's pretty rad. If you want more info, go to ru500.net. That's ru for Restaurant Unstoppable 500.net. Right. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Johnny Hernandez. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? <laughs> it's one of those days, right? I give think me, I'm the only me, thing stopping you. Give, give me some <laughs> coffee and uh, let's let's start attacking the work. You got this. <laughs> we're on several fronts that we're working. So yeah. It's going to be a blast. I can't wait to dive into your story. So Chef Johnny Hernandez is a celebrity chef, entrepreneur, and founder of and president of Grupo La Gloria and True Flavors, Inc. He is one of the premier Mexican cuisine chefs in the United States and a recognized authority on Mexican cuisine and culture. Obviously, we're not uh, scraping deep into your story. I think a total of 14 restaurants, right? With two more to come from what I picked up in yesterday's conversation. (laughs) Yeah, there's a couple in the pipeline. You got a a lot going on. Uh, I can't wait to hear it and figure it out how you you got to where you are. But let's get that motivational, inspirational, ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. And I just realized I'm hitting you with this out of the blue. So let's see how you handle it. <laughs> well, you know, it's um it's there's an old saying in in español, you know, uh que ser lo que te gusta para no trabajar, right? Which is you have to do what you love, you know, so you don't have to work a day in your life and that's been, you know, my life's passion. Yeah. You know, it's, it's been uh kitchen, food, and obviously as a young man, as a little boy, 
you know, the evolution from there and the trajectory of my career has been amazing to see and kind of look back and reflect on, on, you know, the good, the bad, the, all the learning experiences, right. And it drives me, you know, the food industry drives me, the people in the industry drive me, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, I guess the, the, not only what I do, but what they do and meeting my employees and a lot of the, I think the, 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 the passion that, that the, the sincere, the people that are sincere about the, this industry and the profession, I think we, we feed off each other. Yeah. And, um, just to kind of paint the picture for the listeners a little more. Uh, so I'm in San Antonio. I was here for the, uh, Texas restaurant association marketplace or, or trade show essentially. And you were speaking yesterday. Uh, you're, I don't know what your exact, um, uh, you weren't the keynote speaker, but you were like the star, uh, what do they call that? Like the premier panelist or whatever. Uh, <laughs> something like something that. Something like that. And I was I was sitting in the audience in the front row, and I was just taking in everything you were saying. And I was like, oh, my God, i got to talk to this guy. And like right afterwards, I approached Chef, and I was like, I would love to get you on the show. So we're, we're in San Antonio, and um, I'm going to try to pull some of the stuff that came out of you yesterday. But one of the things you did say that really resonated with mm-hmm. me is, uh, you know, what does it take to, to, to make it in this industry? And you basically said you just never stop. You just you work all the time. <laughs> and it, it brings it back to your success quote, which is you got to mm-hmm. love what you do because mm-hmm. it, it, you will burn out. You will, you'll be miserable if you don't absolutely, you know, breathe sweat and whatever, uh, did I say breathe? I'm to say bleed sweat and cry. <laughs> just like hospitality and uh, right. culinary. So I get that. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you, you have to, you know, I think that, you know, you, you know, life, you know, I mean, and life takes you down different paths, you know, and you know, it's, uh, you know, if you're, if you're, if you exercise, you know, d- discipline, which is difficult, right? Because mm-hmm. discipline uh, as a younger chef, um, it doesn't, right? They don't go hand in hand, right? You know, you're, you're, you don't necessarily always exercise <laughs> discipline. But, you know, I, I think it's, it's heading down, taking on each challenge, you know, eyes wide open and really understanding, you know, potential losses and successes and, you know, I mean, I think over the course of, of a lot of those successes and a lot of those failures, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm doing what I love. I knew that failure was, could have been one of the outcomes. It's never one that you really expect or want or hope for. But, you know, I mean, like they say, you know, you, you learn more from those failures than, than any of the successes, uh, you know, that are compiled. You know, I mean, it's always reflecting on, on, the, on those most difficult times. But, you know, I mean, it's... Um, I'm right now at the, you know, presently today, you know, what, what, what really I think drives me or, or the team that we built, you know, as a company and as a family and they inspire me and they drive me. Right. Mm. And I just, I see them wanting to grow. I see them wanting to learn more. I see them wanting to own responsibilities. And I mean, we have a, you know, and our leadership that I get to meet with every week, you know, every week, more than once a week, but I mean, religiously, once a week, our leadership gets together, our GMs and our chefs, and we talk about the good and the bad, or the challenges and the and and the path forward, right? And they are, you know, they they, you know, they they motivate me because they take ownership of of yeah. you know the the role that they're in, and you know, I mean, I, that's as an owner, as a parent, right? That's yes. what you, you you're you're setting up this conversation, and I'm taking notes because I want to come back to this. But I like to stay chronological. I want to mm-hmm. find out uh, <laughs> where it all started mm-hmm. for you. So uh, you went to the Culinary Institute of America, but mm-hmm. I'm assuming that you fell in love with the work before that. So take me sure. to the point where you're like, "Damn, 
this is it. This is my path. This is what I want to do. Take me there. <laughs> We're going back a few years, but no, I mean, I grew up in the restaurant business and every morning before school, that was the life. That was the day to day. You know, I actually started before I even went to school, I would sleep under my dad's chopping block. You know, he would make me a table or, or a bed. Mom would make me a bed under his work tables. And that's where I, that's where I, you know, that's where I, the, the, the morning dad and mom and dad would go to work to open the restaurant. And that's where I slept. And then after, you know, waking up and kind of uh, trying to be a, a four, probably four or five year old kid in the kitchen, getting in the way. And as I mentioned yesterday in, in the interview, uh, I learned to make flour tortillas. You know, that was the very first thing that I learned to cook. And ask me uh, my my later on in the conversation. I need to tell you about my flour tortilla story. But <laughs> but I mean, it's uh, that was life every day before school, every day after school. But I realized that probably I must have been about nine, ten years old. And I think Dad realized it as well and said, "Wow, you're you know you really enjoy the food. You're you know you'd love to be in the kitchen." I had an older sister, a younger brother. And they wanted nothing to do with the kitchen, right? They, they would be up front, uh, I don't know, behind the register or dad had a little cafeteria and, and they worked in the front part of the restaurant or just serving or clearing tables. But I, I gravitated to the back of house, you mm-hmm. know, the, the chopping, the cooking, even the washing dishes. And I think, it, you know, I think a lot of chefs uh, like myself, I mean, we're, we, we, I think we're, you know, we're not the front people. We are the front people today. Because the, the, the business has changed us and our personalities, you know, I think we've, we've grown into being these front people. But chefs, all the chefs that I know that are friends of mine, want nothing to do with the front. Mm. We're about the craft. We're about our hands and working and creating. And we're less about the camera or the interview. Or the microphone. Or the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Shoved in your face. Sorry but that's, that. I mean, that was every day. So, I mean, I was, I, I know that dad growing up, dad did, dad went to, dad didn't go to school. I think second grade, you know, he didn't speak a lot of English, but he knew that I love food and he knew that I, I was de- genuinely interested in, in this career path. Mm-hmm. So he's like, we're going to send you to chef school and you need to learn to, you know, you need to learn at the time French food. You, you need to learn European cooking mm-hmm. and all that old world cuisines that were at the time you know, obviously we're the pinnacle of, of our industry and him growing up also. So he was, and I remember, it's funny because he would tell me, you know, you're not going to grow up making tacos your whole life. And, and now my career's kind of come full circle and I'm making tacos. Yeah. As fast as we can make them right now. And, and I think that, you know, Mexican food, even when I moved back to San Antonio, which was, wow, 20, 24 years ago, 25 years ago, I moved here. And even then, I had no interest in cooking Mexican food. My life had been, my career had been shaped by working in California, New York, Las Vegas. And, you know, I was internationally trained and, and really had a, a broad range of skill sets. Mm-hmm. And I figured, why would I come to San Antonio and cook Mexican food, right? <laughs> so even, you know, my career had, you know, obviously now that's, that's what I'm known for and that's my specialty. And really it'll be kind of my life's, you know, it's been my, my, my wish to continue down this path and continue honing my skill around Mexican food. But growing up, uh, you, you do, I guess, as you grow up and you don't necessarily want to do that, right, you know, as, as an yeah. adult. And you go off and learn all, a lot of great cuisines through my education and my career. But here we are, uh, you know, fast forward many years and um, 
everything that I live and breathe is about Mexican food. I, th- I think there's something to be said to going back to what's familiar with you and going back to your roots and just mm-hmm. like the the nostalgia, the memories that uh, going through the motions, doing these things that you were young, doing with them when you're young, going back to those, those young memories of, of being in the kitchen with your dad and your mom and just going through those motions kind of trigger those mm-hmm. kind of memories maybe. I don't know if I'm making right. assumptions right now, but mm-hmm. I think we'd like to go back to our roots. So we'd like to go back to you know where we came from. Do you think that kind of is one of the reasons why you, you went back that direction or was it just an opportunity in the market? <laughs> well, you know, I think, you know, I mean, there's definitely a lot that we went through in the catering business you know, before kind of setting on this new journey of knowing, owning, and being recognized as an authority on Mexican food, right? I mean, because I'm very, and I've, I've, it was a very strategic approach, but also I think there was a very genuine interest in learning about Mexican food and culture and understanding our heritage. I think, you know, um, I, you know, you, you start kind of uh, strategically, at least, you know, in, you know, and to me, I was trying to align what I love, which is the craft, right? I love the food, the hospitality, the people. And the richness of the story to me was, is part of what I wanted to share, you know, and that was the richness of the story is the heritage, is the traveling through Mexico that I, that, you know, that I was a part of and I can share with you. But, you know, I mean, I think I wanted to align what I love as a craft the 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 history that I was just intrigued by, which is learning my heritage, and then also understanding that if I want to do what I love and continue to do it, I have to figure out, you know, the the financial piece yes. too, right? It, it's got to be a business and it's got to make sustainable. Yeah, let's let's. This is a good uh, point. Uh, um, like the story is coming together. I want to hit on all these topics as we go chronologically, but. Um, you went to CIA. We can't just skip over that. Any big mentors in your life uh, that really influenced you during this time that kind of helped transform you to the man you are today? Oh, man. You know, I, you know I've never... I wish that... I mean, maybe I'm... Not that I wish. I think I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate in, in that the way I was taught, you know, dad always told me, you know, every, every person that ever speaks to you and he was very respectful, right? My dad, a lot of discipline in his life. And every person that speaks to you, you know, you open your ears and listen. Mm. And you learn from everyone, mm. you know. And I think that's, that really stayed with me as, an, as a young man, as a professional. So I think I'm surrounded by mentors. And I just don't ever necessarily, fa- I mean, I'm always, you know, again, I'm always taking it in. And I think that's, again, that comes from him because, you know, he said, you, you'll learn from, you know, the, the simplest person that crosses your path. You know, you may learn something. And, you know, like it's, and, and sometimes I'll tell my chefs, I go, you know, some of, some of the tricks of the trade, I learned from my dishwashers, yeah. right? You know, and <laughs> you know? But it's so true. You've got to be open-minded towards everybody that's, that you come across in life, but especially on your team, because mm-hmm. they might have something that they can contribute to make you all better. Mm-hmm. And so often we just kind of throw those people to the wayside of like, just do your job. Don't contribute. Mm-hmm you know, be seen, not heard. Like, right. and, but when you mm-hmm. open up that channel of like, what do you have to offer? Like, right. right. Everybody's mind has the ability mm-hmm. to tap into the, like just the, the, the 
never-ending possibility, right. uh, the, the ether, as sure. they call it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's cool, but, you know, I, again, just because I was, you know, I mean, I consider myself kind of an observant, you know, individual and, you know, always trying to figure things out, even from a young age. And, you know, I think you asked me, there, there were a handful of instructors that stood out to me. And one of them was David Kellaway, a master chef. I remember I was an American regional cooking and, and he was my instructor there. And I was like, wow, I was, I was just, uh, you know, he was inspirational to listen to, but he also was very articulate. And I, and that's not always the skill set of a chef, right? You know, the sometimes, cause again, you're, we're going back a few years, the, the, the teaching faculty at the CIA 25 years ago was very different from today, right? They were mm-hmm. old school, a lot of Europeans, a lot of French, German, Austrians, and you name it. And uh, Chef Kellaway was one of the American chefs. Um, he stood out because he communicated and he was such an excellent instructor. And he wanted you to learn without that old school mentality of like kind of like pounding you down a little bit and... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> making you suffer through it at times, you know. But anyway, he stood out. I remember Vince Fatigetti too. He was another just like wow, so put together, so organized, so articulate. And you're like, wow, I want to be able to do that. That's right. awesome, you know. I mean, you, you, as a young, I mean, I was 17 years old, and uh, so you know, there was quite a chef shoop. I mean, quite a few of these um, instructors stood out, um, as well as the the ones that were like, you know, that you had some you know, some pretty hardcore, uh, uh, military, military style. I remember it was Ron DeSantis. He was a, he's a master chef, Marine drill sergeant. Brigade style. Oh my <laughs> God. Don't mess with him. You just like stay out of his way. You know, he ruled by like fear and, and he was hard. And I remember I ran into him. Um, obviously, uh, I'm very involved with the culinary of America still. And he was in charge of, he was still at the school. And I said, and I had to go say hi to him because he was teaching here in San Antonio. I said, hey, chef, I just wanted to say hi. I was one of your students, you know, when you were the the instructor at the American Bounty. Uh, and he's a master chef, certified master chef, CMC. And he goes, oh, wow, what year was that? Well, you know, about 89, 90. He goes, oh, man, I was bad back then. <laughs> we <laughs> well, laughed. It's funny because everybody, I feel like, you know, that's, you know, we learn a lot about who we want to rep, uh, be when we grow up. We want to uh, imitate these people who mm-hmm. are great. And then also a lot of people who might be great in their own way, but also maybe not the best leader in their leadership mm-hmm. style of that command and control and just shout. And it, it's it's cool to hear that even these people can grow and they can look back and be like, man, I, I, I didn't really have the best approach then, <laughs> uh, you know, and the, the industry is really changing. It's really transforming. And it's it cool is. to hear that you recognize that. So mm-hmm. why did you go into... Uh, catering i think most people maybe i'm making an assumption want mm-hmm. to get into the restaurant or, or or the hotel side of things uh catering isn't right. always i mean it, it's it's there but if, uh, why right. did you want to specialize in catering well itself? i mean i think i saw it as um you know i mean i grew up in the catering you know dad did a lot of catering on the weekends okay you know at the restaurants you know it was six days a week sundays off and and he did a lot of catering on fridays and saturdays and evenings and that was you know that was our our that was our weekend work yeah. right weekends we were catering and on Sundays we were cleaning up the mess uh, so <laughs> <laughs> that was growing up but you know I I saw catering 
as uh, the kind of the lowest hurdle, you know, at least to dive into entrepreneurship. Yeah. And there's, you know, great margins there too. So it's a good way to get that cash flow going. Mm-hmm. At early point. Yes. Yes. I mean, I was entrepreneurial as a kid, you know, I mean, I, I used to sell food at school and sell candies at school. And I always had a, I always had a side business going, you know, as a young boy. And uh, so I always knew, I, I always, my plan was to return home and, and start a business and catering was, what I set out to also learn when I uh, when I went to the when I moved to Vegas, it was to work in the catering department, and I was the the banquet chef there at the Mirage, and that was my my goal was to go there and and learn catering at a different level, and and you know gain as much knowledge as I can mm. in catering and in you know events. So you, that's events. smart. I want to put some emphasis on this. You went to where you could be surrounded by the best at what they do. And mm-hmm. you, you got that continued education. It doesn't end at culinary school. You got to go surround yourself with the best and yeah. learn the business. So what did you learn about the business of catering during this time? Well, you know, I mean, I think that I, I learned catering at a level that I had never seen in my life. I mean, at the time, you know, the Mirage had just opened. I was part of the opening team. They hired about 13 of us that had graduated from the CIA. And it was an unbelievable experience to see just the 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 wealth of the world you know kind of descended on vegas and the mirage when it opened in 90 you know 1991 and you know people would just i mean fly in on their jets and you know throw lavish parties and you know there with steve wind and but i mean i was exposed to you know really high-end catering and at a at a scale that uh you could never imagine I mean, at the time, we had the largest hotel in the world, and so we're doing events. We were we were producing events that people would spend millions of dollars on events. Wow. So you think of you know, don't think of banquet chicken. No, this was like amazing. You know, uh, productions that were being created and had there at the Mirage at the time, and that's I was in the center of all that, working with a master chef. Actually, our master chef was Gustav Moller. And Gustav was a master chef, and under him was like Ken Weicker and Chris Young. These are, you know, again mentors who I learned so much from. And uh, it was catering at a, at a at a level that I had never imagined. And uh, so I learned, you know, not only the skill, but executing events, decorating events, logistics, a lot of logistics, a lot of time. You know, you you produce things, you know. Uh, in stages and, and, and catering has a lot of moving parts mm-hmm. a lot of moving parts because it's not an a la carte meal. Yeah. Right. So where do you think most people miss the buck with catering? Where do you think they go wrong? What's catering done wrong when you see it done wrong? Well, I mean, I think it's, um, you know, I think that the world of catering is challenging because as a caterer and I realized this, you know, it was part of my life, my, my, my entrepreneurial, you know, life, as a caterer, you're 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 always trying to be everything to everyone, mm-hmm. right? And it's hard to be an expert at everything, right? There was a another uh, another thing I learned that you know you can do anything in life, but you just can't do everything in life. <laughs> yeah, right? that's a great quote. Yeah, so, so and what I hear, what I'm hearing from you is, if you're going to be catering, have your lane, have a few things that you do really well, and then be known for those things. So, for mm-hmm. example, I know uh, there's a few uh, Indian caterers because mm-hmm. Indian is a very uh, particular cuisine that only mm-hmm. a few people can do really well, and there are 
Indian people who do Indian catering that do only Indian catering, but they're busy all year round. They'll travel all over the country Mm -hmm. because they're the best at what they do. It's like a lawyer, Mm -hmm. you know, become a specialist, Mm -hmm. do one thing better than anybody else. And you can pick your clients. Yeah. And that's, and, 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 you know, most caterers, most entrepreneurs that to get to that point to where you can carve out a specialty is difficult right? I think to the, the market has changed so much today. And I think it's easier to carve out a specialty today than it was maybe 25 years ago. People are a lot more open-minded now. Mm-hmm. Whereas before people didn't like to venture out of the strange things, but not there's right. such, there are so few things that are strange today because of the <laughs> internet and what we're seeing on TV. And in cultural, cultural cuisines have exploded. Mm-hmm. Cultural cuisines are a trend that have been going on and evolving now for probably 10 years. Yeah. And, you know, so that's, you know, again, so those specializations are kind of surfacing and, and becoming, you know, uh, great business growth models because they're aligned with what the, 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 the broader market trends, food trends are. Right. Okay. So that's, that's why, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, we do a limited amount of catering under our restaurant umbrella because mm-hmm. whatever we do, like under La Gloria and, and my Mexican brands, it's obviously very focused on authentic Mexican food. Our other catering division, True Flavors, still does a, just a you know just a, you know all different types of world international cuisines. But but I think the, the 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 learning you know what I learned a good ten years into my career as a caterer is is you know you're you're trying to be everything to everyone it's and, and it's it's, it's yeah. really di- because be, well because you're trying to make rent right? yeah you're trying to you know you know you're trying to you know drive a, a you know make your car payment and, and so it's tough as an yeah. entrepreneur you're fighting the fight right you know, early on i think you got to just take what comes your way until you mm-hmm. kind of figure yourself out mm-hmm. and then find your lane it takes time to find your lane you the only way to find your lane is get out there and get in the, the wrong lane a couple times to realize <laughs> i'm in the wrong lane i should probably get back yeah. to where i was but i mean that's the only way you can learn yeah um like yesterday when i pulled down the run the the long uh, i was in <laughs> i was in uh austin and i pulled down a runway a one way i'm not used to a lot of one ways so that, oh. that's kind of the feeling i'm sure you get when you're in the wrong lane you're like oh shit this does not feel good i should get out of here i got out of there real fast it was scary yeah uh anyway side note um <laughs> so you eventually came back to san antonio mm-hmm. and started your own catering company so how long did it take you to, to get back to start your own business well i worked for probably a year I worked for a, I hadn't I hadn't intended to stay in San Antonio. <laughs> Actually, I was I wanted to make a pit stop in San Antonio and my dream was to to travel to Italy mm-hmm. and 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 work in Italy for at least a year, you know, and then figure out where my life would take me then. What year is this? 93. Okay. Yeah, so 93. you're spent about a year or two in Las Vegas mm-hmm. kind of learning the business and at the scale it is over there and then bringing that, that back here where there's probably a lot less competition, I would right. imagine, uh, right. for that level of catering. So oh, you, yes. you instantly shoot yourself to the top of the game. Oh, yes. So no, easy to stand out. But yeah, I mean, I, but, you know, that, uh, but coming back home was always, you know, certainly part of um, my plan. I mean, I think, I think when I was 16 years old, I had already laid out my life plan, you know, married couple kids. <laughs> I'm going to own my catering business and have a restaurant. And, you know, it was, it was probably 16 when I, I wrote it all out. And, uh, but you know, I mean, the, the, the um, I, I moved back home. I decided to stay home after, you know, a business opportunity or a job. I was offered a job at a, a I don't know if you you probably, well, you've never heard of it, but it was an old San Francisco steakhouse. 
So one introduction led to another and uh, ended up, you know, taking the job because I felt that it was um, another great learning opportunity to manage four restaurants that were, it was a small regional steakhouse chain at the time or brand at the time, not a really, not a chain. And uh, I said, wow, you know, I've never had to manage multiple locations. And um, I loved the idea of, of, of running these four restaurants and helping them evolve their brands and their concepts. But, you know, a year into it, I'm like, wow, I think it's, the, it's time. I think I'm staying in San Antonio. I think this is home now. And uh, that idea of, of traveling overseas, you know, I realized it, it wasn't going to be the way well, it you're planned. doing it now. Uh, you're doing a lot of traveling now, so the dream it. is coming true. <laughs> just, it, it wasn't the path you thought it was going to be, or that you didn't get there quite the right way, but you got there. I'm there now. Yeah. So uh, I guess you went. You opened your first restaurant in 2008. Mm-hmm. So I want to spend mm-hmm. a, the majority of our conversation from that point on, but mm-hmm. I also don't want to overlook any key parts of your career that are worth drawing some light on some transformative times for you where you kind of oh. had some aha moments. Can you think of yeah. anything that you can drop on us before we kind of yeah. talk about how you scaled your well, business to where you are today? Well, yeah, I guess there was a transformative, you know, point in my career. I mean, we had the catering business. I had it for 10 years and I'm like, man, I just, I don't have enough to show. Right. I don't have enough. How many money. years did you have it? 10 years. 10 years. So when did you, you started that in, uh, 2000? So, um, well, the company, no, the, the the catering company I started, I think, in '96. Okay. Mm-hmm. So fast fast forward about ten years or so, um, you know, I get confused, but the timeline you know. has helped me for some reason. I don't oh, know. Why okay. I love the timelines. Oh, I don't track time very well. <laughs> so, so '96, and you had for ten years. So in, in 2006, you said to yourself, yeah, right about 2006. Okay. So I'm like, man, I'm, you know, I'm like, okay. Uh, you know, I don't have a million dollars in the account. I've been, you know, really busting my tail, really building a brand. You know, people know me. I'm in the community. You know, we're, we're doing well. We have a professional. We have beautiful trucks. We have infrastructure. We have equipment. But I'm not, you know, I felt like I've hit a ceiling. You know, I'm not. The growth uh, spurts were not there. You know, we kind of plateaued. We, we a kind bit. of plateaued, and the incremental growth was just. It, 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 I began to see it. I said, wow, there's just, you know, is it our margins? I, you know, I, I, like I needed help. I need, okay. a, I need, I need help figuring this out. So I enrolled in a, in a program, uh, called building business excellence. Okay. And it was put on by the Hispanic chamber of commerce and UTSA San Antonio. And so I enrolled in that program and, you know, again, it, it began to break down, you know, your business, right? Really diving into your business and part of your business, part of the program, you meet with a uh, consultant, a business consultant to, you know, kind of summarize things and, and try to enlighten you. And, and again, how do you say it? Take it to the next level, right? Yeah. Everybody's want to take it to the next level, right? Everybody wants to grow the business. And so I realized through this program that I had to, uh, I had the dream of the restaurant, but I realized that I had to myself also uh, change how I manage the business. You know, and and like I said in in the uh, in the presentation yesterday, you know, I I knew I had to make a shift to begin to work on my business versus in my business, and and that was a 
that you know again that that was that 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 came through understanding some of the what I call failures in in growing my company. Yeah. Right. So the consultant was he the one that kind of like got Ariel with you and said, "Hey, let's just look at the big picture and see where you are." And mm-hmm. was he the one that kind of helped you see that? He he helped me identify the complexity of catering. In other words, where you're doing everything for everyone. Okay. And and he's like, you know, I really wish you could figure out a way to focus on a smaller segment of the market, but I understand your challenges. Catering is such a small percentage of what's out there. Yeah. So you have to cast a bigger net around and, and, and diversify your, your services to increase sales. So he goes, man, that's a tough model. Yeah. And so we, 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 we ended up the conversation just focused on the restaurant concept. And he's like, you know, I love your concept of authentic Mexico. And he goes, I think that is the path forward for you. And, and again, and my research and my learnings prove that, that the catering, you know, was, I had reached a a plateau in the, in, in the catering world that, that would make the growth more and more challenging and focusing on Mexican food was the path forward, but I still needed to change how I managed myself yeah, and my company exactly. and my time. Because there's no way you can go open a restaurant while <laughs> being involved in the day-to-day of a catering business. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you, what was the transition of getting to the point where you're working on your restaurant and not in your restaurant? Yeah. How did you make that happen? Well, I decided to, I mean, I, I had, in, I finally made up my mind, I have to hire a chef and that chef needs to be responsible for my opera, my food production. And I was always this chef. Yeah. I mean, I was, it was in the code. It's what I love. It's what I wanted to do. It was my, it's my passion. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to cook and be in the kitchen, but I, I had to give up that role. I had to give up that role. How was role. that giving up of that role? It was difficult. I think we went through about seven chefs. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, there, good for you for you know knowing your standard standard in, uh, and not settling on just anybody. I think mm-hmm. that that level that that uh, that the ability to not budge from your standards is so crucial in the success in this industry. It's a pain in the ass sometimes when you fire mm. a bunch of people. Oh. Of, <laughs> at the same time, uh, you know it's worth it when you find the right person. Yes. So it was. It, it was. I think there was a, definitely a pivotal point in. in in, in in my in the how I managed and run our my business, which really shifting from beginning to manage from a higher perspective, and you know again hold, in, in, in encouraging the, the individual leaders in their departments to take ownership of their and their responsibility and step away, step back, let them set them up for success and accept some of their failures, right? Yeah. Because they you have to accept those small failures, right? And you're there to, to pick them up. You're there to manage those failures to keep them from escalating. Yeah. Right. And so you got to be right on top of it. So, you know, they drop the ball in a sales transaction or in a food, you know, or the timing of an event or the preparation or, or the logistical planning, you know, you're, you're on top of it. And so I'm, and then I'm shifting to open a whole different business, which is a restaurant. So it was, it was, it took me a couple of years to get comfortable. So it took you a couple of years to, to get that person that you wanted on your team to take over, to replace you essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could focus on these other projects and that took a yeah. couple of years. Uh, how did you, how did you track what they were doing without micromanaging? How did you, cause you say you got to stay right on top of it. Were, right. Were, would you say you were micromanaging for a little bit until oh. you got a little bit better or? 
You know, <laughs> I, I think so. I mean, people are, um, I mean, employees and managers are, you know, I think they're afraid, they're afraid of failure as well. Yeah. They're afraid to let me down or, 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 or fail the customer. Right. So I think, uh, I, I think, you know, with time, with structure, with, you know, encouragement, I mean, that it was, it was, it was a long, it was a, it was a lengthy path. It was a, a length of time before the team would like, stop calling me. Like, yeah. Hey chef, what do you think about this? Hey chef, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? Or what do you think about the price of this? Or what do you think about, you know, so, so I was like, wow, y'all need to make, you, you know, you, you have the ability to make decisions on your own. But you also have to let them, you know, some people, you have to give them permission. You have to mm-hmm. give people permission to think for themselves because mm-hmm. they won't sometimes. And like you have yeah. to, you have to make it clear. You got to say, Hey, like you, you are enabled. Like mm-hmm. you can do this. You're, I'm empowering you to make these decisions. Yeah. And sometimes you got to be as corny as just saying it out loud. Like you got to do this. <laughs> like you got this. Uh, but you also, that being said, you can't go and like beat them down every time yeah. they do something because you said they could. And then you tell them that they did it completely wrong. <laughs> yeah. you know? That's not what I had in mind. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but good start. Good first start. You know, it's like you got to find that, that sweet spot. Yeah. Um, one other thing you mentioned quickly, but I think it warrants going deeper into is you weren't just doing Mexican food. Because, I mean, it wasn't like you were bringing Mexican food to San Antonio in 1998. Like, you you know, or is it 2008? Sorry. 2008. 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, it was here. But what I right. think, that's, and this is just me kind of guessing here, right. I think what separated you was that you focused on the story behind the food. You went into the culture mm-hmm. of the food, whereas many sure. people probably were just doing Mexican food. For, for, for them, it's just who, it's who they were. You know, it's just right. what they knew. But you, you, mm-hmm. it sounds like you were almost telling the story behind the plate. Sure, really definitely. Dive, is, is that- no, I, mean, I think that's pretty accurate. I mean, I traveled, uh, I traveled through Mexico probably 10 years before I opened La Gloria. Mm-hmm. And I was down there doing missionary work, volunteering at a camp. Okay. You know, so I cooked at a kid's I was wondering camp. what happened in that 10 years. So, okay. Yeah. 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 So over the course of about 10 years, I was, I'd go every summer to cook uh, at, a, at this youth camp. And it was at that youth camp that I started kind of venturing out and seeing the different regions mm. of Mexico, understanding the food, the complexity and the depth and the breadth of Mexican food, authentic Mexican food from the interior of Mexico. You know, my, story behind the food too, yes. not just experiencing it, but like learning the the, the culture of it, the, well, the history of it. Well, you know, I mean, I think, you know, you, you, well, you begin, you travel down there and you begin to kind of scratch the surface and you're like, wow, this is really good. And wow, you, you keep having these, these moments of, of, of surprise around a cuisine that you thought you knew mm-hmm. as a kid, or you thought that you understood as a kid. Right. And then, so when you get down there, you're like, wow, I need to, I need to understand this in a more deeper, profound way. And, and I did. And it was through the relationships. You know, I made a lot of friends every time I'd go down to this camp and they knew I was a chef. Uh, so they'd, they'd invite me to different cities. So I would go to different cities and have local hosts that take me to their restaurants or the mercados or the fruit stands or the food, the, the food stands on the streets and different street vendors and stuff. So it, you know, it became, and I think for me, I've always been, kind of I've always loved history and I think that was the genuine kind of my approach to to the food and the heritage was kind of learning the backstory on it and um it it happened in in the first few years it, you know it was very organic right I would you know I, I traveled into these different cities and just appreciating food and but you know it became I became more and more organized about it and started documenting things and trying to break it down 
I try to start breaking it down. Okay, why is it different here than it is here? Mm -hmm. Or they call it a different name here versus here. Or it can actually be the same dish and it just has two names. And yeah, I started trying to figure it out. I'm like, wow. And, and then you begin to understand the complexity of it. And it was 10 years of travel. And I think about four or five years into into that travel, I had already, the idea already started kind of percolating in me. I'm like, wow this needs to be done in San Antonio. Yeah. I've never had this style of food in San Antonio. And why? You know, you start thinking, why? Mm. Who's done it and has it failed? You know, you start kind of thinking through all these things, right? Mm -hmm. As a, you know, as a business owner, you're like, well, maybe it won't work, right? So it was, it was, um, it was, it was a lot of debate around what, what style of Mexican food? Is Mexican food the right path forward? Yeah. Is it street foods in Mexico? Because La Gloria, we opened up specializing in the street foods of Mexico. And I felt that that was the right way to introduce it to San Antonio. And we always were very specific about our messaging. And I, I because we're trying to, we were trying to distinguish ourselves from Mexican food, which is a big mixture right i mean in other words everything is mexican food right mm -hmm. put a salsa on it put you know a sauce over it and you call it mexican food and so we we tried to just you know just you know carefully weave acclimate. in yeah you <laughs> like know whether familiar it's like interior. tacos you know the tacos well we started are, with yeah. those familiar things but our we we wanted to we 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 always explain to people that this is authentic interior mexican food mm -hmm. from the interior of mexico because there's a lot of familiar, there's a lot of local cuisine that is from the north of Mexico. So we just, you know, started breaking it down for guests to explain to them. But we did start with all the familiar things like tacos and quesadillas and ceviches. And, and you know, I mean, it's it's been widely successful. And it has been, I mean, I remember the Texas Monthly article uh, that uh, Pat Sharp wrote. She goes, are you like something like, are you wondering why I'm writing about another Mexican restaurant or something like that? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and she's a, a writer over at Texas Monthly. And, and she goes, well, but this is not your average Mexican restaurant. Yeah. And she went on to describe, you know, how authentic and how different it was from Tex-Mex. So you mentioned yesterday during your chat, your mission statement a, a bunch of times. So real quick, mm -hmm. just say the mission statement for me. Yes. So it's, it, it's it, we, I've actually been retool, retooling it a little bit, but it is creating experiences that glorify the authentic food and culture of Mexico. Yeah. So the reason why I wanted you to say that and why I wanted you to share that with us, not because it's important to have a mission statement so everybody knows mm -hmm. what the mission is so you're all pulling in the same direction, but when you have a mission that is worth getting behind, um, that when you, when I'm sure you employ a lot of Mexican cooks, mm -hmm. chefs, um, something that they can be proud of, mm -hmm. something that they can resonate with, something that they can take, you know, just take that, that pride that this is, this isn't just serving food. This is serving who we are right. and when you give somebody the opportunity to be proud of something especially when it ties to their culture mm -hmm. what's the impact of that having that that depth that that weight that you know to to, mm -hmm. to attract onto yourself the best in the industry dive into the significance of that well i mean i think you know i think that it's always been you know um, it's been maybe unappreciated right and i think i think that's what we I think uh, somebody from Mexico, well, first of all, they're very proud. They're a very proud culture of what, I mean, they're, they're still, you know, I, I think 
again, it, it's a it's a country that's very different from the U.S. Yeah, and there's a lot of tension there too between mm-hmm. the two countries right yeah. now. So to give people <laughs> to give people like a sense of like you know, it's not all just negative stuff like mm-hmm. with like what's going on in politics right now, but like. We're a people, a proud people, and look mm-hmm. look look at what we are. Look look at this food, you know. Yes. And to give people like that to something to like hang on to, you know. Am I stretching it right now? Or? No, no. I mean, it, it's it is. I mean, they're they're very, but you see it not only, you see it not only in their food, but in their hospitality, in in their craft. Because we do a lot of, aside from trying to share these Mexican, you know, food and culture experiences, we also incorporate a lot of artisan work in our spaces. Our restaurants, our restaurants today, all our decor and a lot of our plates in China and our blown glass come from Mexico. But I, I think you know what we, what I've, what I appreciate the most and what I love the most about Mexico is the the sense of pride that they take in what they make. I don't care if it's a taco, or it is a blown glass or a paper mache sculpture. There's a lot of pride in in in, in their craft and what they do, and and I think that. You know, I think that here in San Antonio, the the Mexicans, you know, that, that work within our company or the Hispanics that are want to learn the culture. There's a lot of young people that want to learn Mexican food, too, and and dive deeper into the heritage and stuff. But I think there is there's definitely a sense of pride knowing that, you know, this is this is, you know, this is our contribution to the food community. Right. And this is this is um you know it comes from it comes from within and it's part of our heritage and and i think there's uh, people take pride in that and i think that is you know i i mean I, I recognize that it's not always been the case you know mexican food is you know and it still is i think that we still have uh, you know we still have work to do in in maybe elevating you know the 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 cuisine. I think I people think now's still a good think... time to, to dive into your flour tutorial. Flour tortilla. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah. I'm from New Hampshire. Bear with me. Uh, <laughs> the flour tortilla story. Yeah. Is now yeah. a good time for? Or did I? Cut no, you short? no. That's a good time. You know because <laughs> well, it's like Dad would say growing up, right? You're not going to be take, making tacos your life. I remember I have pictures of with my dad, and I think we were selling the tacos at 39 cents or something like that, mm-hmm. right? And it's um you know it was always kind of a poor man's food right the working class food and and now i mean some of the the top chefs in the world are 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 fascinated by corn you know and 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 the corn tortillas mexican food even flour tortillas so i mean i guess my uh but it is it is you know beautiful to see you know certainly my career and knowing where it started on that milk crate with a with a with a white with an with an apron covered in flour, you know, rolling out those corn those flour tortillas, you know, in my dad's restaurant when I must have been I probably five six years old, and and I remember, you know, we as as a as a chef, you know, I've been very fortunate and and I've traveled all over the world doing consulting work, and and I was I remember I was probably three blocks away from Buckingham Palace working for this huge private equity firm, one of the largest in the world. And they hired me because of my knowledge of Mexican food. And I'm sitting there and I took I took my director of operations with me and we were kind of double teaming on this project. And I'm I'm you know, and and I'm I'm in London and I'm making flour tortillas. You know, I'm like, Ray. I'm I look over to Ray, I said, Check that out, Ray. We're here making flour tortillas <laughs> in London. Can you imagine that? We've come a long way. Yeah. <laughs> and it was and so I have this theme. Whenever I, I, I have these moments in my career, 
I try to always include a tortilla. So when I went to the White House, and uh, you know, I, I, I was the guest chef uh, for President Obama, I told the, the social director, I'm like, I really want to be able to serve tortillas in the White House and maybe serve a taco or something like that. And she's like, well, chef, I think we can do that. And I, so I did the same thing at the White House. Uh, I did the same thing uh, in, uh, for the King of Spain. I cooked for the King of Spain last month. And I wanted to incorporate that. Uh, I, I I wanted to incorporate that into uh, into the dinner that I was invited to be the chef at. So again, that's just you know it it, it just um, I get a sense of pride, right? A sense of pride in knowing that you know what this is something that I grew up cooking, and this is one of the first things I ever made as a child, and now I'm serving it to some of the most important people in the world. And, yeah. That's the gang's uh, going back to those roots, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, not only that, but you, I, I think we have to make a little time at least to talk about your uh, efforts in uh, really going back to the beginning of where it all started, not just where you started, but where the food started with mm-hmm. the, the the product, the the, the produce, corn, mm-hmm. and trying to bring, uh, I guess, growing the heritage corn and trying to right. to bring justice back to how we've bastardized the product so bad over the years. Um, yeah. It's <laughs> so, a tough, you know, yeah. again, it's, it, it, you know, corn, you know, has, has, uh, has been, you know, that commodity, you know, and there's very few things in the world that, that you can compare to corn, you know, of, of how it's evolved and been part of everyone's, you know, one way or another, right. It, it's in, it's part of you or whether it's in a, in a product or food or supplies or even the, you know, even the, the oil or there, it's Sir. in everything, right. It's <laughs> yeah. fuel, yeah. I mean, fuel even. So it's, it's, um, I remember one time they were, I was in Mexico and they were clearing the agave fields to plant corn because corn was such making a, money. A, a, it was a money producing crop and it, you can make it and plant it and you can plant it twice a year and harvest yeah. twice a year. So, yeah, so it fueled uh, and, and it revolutionized, uh, you know, and so with the money and it, it, it turned into a very big business. Right. And that's where, you know, you have a lot of the uh, the genetics that were part of um, of uh, accelerating growth, mm-hmm. you know, because it's it's capitalist. Right. And it's there there the money gets behind it. But I mean, we as a company wanted to bring it into our it it we want we needed to control the quality our our menu and our restaurants operate on about 90% corn in other words our menus are corn based versus northern mexico or, or parts of mexico but basically along the border are white based mm-hmm. uh, flour tortilla concepts right and so ours are interior corn is an essential part of of our concept so we really wanted to own it grow it you know, stone grind it every day and have, have control of quality. And plus it's hard to, it's difficult to source. Mm. Not very many people are producing artisanal corn today. It's, it's a very laborious, it's a, you know, it it comes at a, at a high price. So producing it yourself at the volume that we are, we had to produce it ourselves to, for it to be, you know, we, it's tough to pass every cost onto the customer because they don't always understand but because, also, I think they're asking yeah. for it now too. Because isn't that kind of why you you wound up here? Because somebody was mm-hmm. asking, "Is this is this GMO <laughs> yeah, is this or GMO? Is yeah. it, where is it?" For? I was, you know, forever we were using, you know, a, a corn from Castroville, which is you know twenty miles away, it was local, but it wasn't organic or it wasn't non-GMO corn. So ninety-seven percent of the corn in the U.S. 
has GMO. Yeah. You know, so it's such a huge, so non-GMO corn is very expensive. And I mean, you know, the, as a business, as a business, you always have to understand what, you know, what will the customer pay, right? What yeah. will the market bear? And unfortunately, there's too many people that sell inexpensive tacos. So you can't come in and justify an expensive yeah. taco. You got to be careful with how you, how we delicately manage that as best as but we can. I, I think the guest wants to be educated. I think when you when you do take the time to explain mm-hmm. to them what they're putting into their body and the work that you go to to make sure that they're getting the best, mm-hmm. they're willing to, if you are the best and you can mm-hmm. prove it and you can find ways to be the best, people <laughs> will pay because they want right. they want to be associated with the best and they want to mm-hmm. put the best in their body and they're asking for mm-hmm. it. So they you know give your, your people what they want. Give yeah. what they ask. So. And you know what I'm working I'm actually what I'm doing today, I'm actually working with a local artist uh, and he's illustrating the process for me so I can put it and and, and better educate our customers yeah. on on the work that we that we do every day to serve that, you know, that non GMO product that's stone ground every day. I have a, so a local artist is doing a really cool, uh, graphics for me, uh, just to make it fun yeah. and engaging. And, uh, so I'm going to have a, 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 a beautiful outline of, of our corn process from the field, you know, obviously to, to our restaurants and share the, educate them because yeah. they don't know. This has been a great conversation. We're going to make time for the speed round, which will go by fast. But anything else you want to add? I don't want to cut you short. Anything that you, you – uh, we mentioned earlier uh, that your team inspire you, inspires you today, and you're really driven by your team. Uh, mm-hmm. So we can come back to this, uh, talk about the, 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 the path forward. I mean, anything – I don't want to cut you short because usually I, I would go deeper, but I know you're a very busy man and you're making time for me today. Um, do you want to share anything else before we go to the speed round? Well, I, I think um, you know right now – you know the successes we enjoy today. You know, and the and, you know the, that we are enjoying, and you know whether I get called to the UK or even to Germany. I was in Spain last month. You know, um, I mean, I think what I think what people what I would love people to understand it's it's you know it's been you know it it hasn't been just four or five years. You know, it's been you know it's been a series of of of, of a lot of learning and a lot of you know, dips in, 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 in not necessarily failures, but kind of setbacks. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's, and I think people sometimes don't realize the length of time that, you know, that I've invested in, in the community, on my career, on my, on my, on my team. I mean, because today I, in, I have to invest in my team mm. and I invest in them so they continue to learn. So they, they also go, go on some of these trips with me. So it's it's an investment. And part of that too, like when you when you give to them, when you show them how, when you're just so good to your people, you have to create loyalty. Loyalty doesn't just mm-hmm. come because you give them right. a paycheck. Right. You got to give these people a reason to to stick beside you, and then mm-hmm. to invest in them and to invest in their visions, their dreams. I mean, have you have you right. brought on a partner? Yeah. I'm curious. Is that something that you've done or that you're willing to do in the future? Like in, like letting somebody create their own thing and investing in them and to do it. You know, I mean, I've, I've, um, I've thought of that. Uh, I mean, I think I've encouraged, I mean, you, you have, I've had chefs and managers that kind of go on to do their own thing yeah. and they want to do their own thing. I've given them stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Hey, you need it. You know, I remember I got a call like, Oh, I got a stove. I got a stove in the warehouse. Take it. Pay me yeah, later. Nice. I've always, you know, I always, I, there, I, I love when an employee or a manager is ready to take that step mm-hmm. of ownership and entrepreneurship and, 
so I'm, I always, I'm encouraging and I help them as much as I can. And, um, and they, and they know who they know they can call me whenever they want for yeah. advice. And, uh, but I was, uh, I, I definitely, uh, I've given quite a few pieces of equipment to friends who are employees who have left who are now have their own nice. business. So I love it, but yeah, great stuff, chef. Okay. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to ask some speed round questions. Finally, a simple, affordable, and legal way to share the music that best represents your brand. It's called Soundtrack Your Brand. Get access to soundtracks tailored for any business. Side note, studies have shown that playing the right music can impact your sales. Do you have questions about what that right music is? Soundtrack Your Brand can help you there too. Here's a fun fact. I'm sure a lot of you out there listening to this already have a Spotify account. Well, you can take playlists from your account and import them directly into SoundtrackYourBrand.com. And my guests are always saying on the show that their restaurants are an extension of their own personal brand. Well, so isn't your music. And now you can marry these things together legally. Unlike Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Music, Soundtrack Your Brand is licensed for business use. Skip the hassle of ASCAP and BMI because with Soundtrack Your Brand, it's already included. You can even schedule music for the whole week and adapt the music for each day part. Typically, this deal goes for $26.99 per month. But if you act now before the end of August, you can get this deal for $19.99 per location per month for life. Again, that's SoundtrackYourBrand.com or find the banner in the show notes. I've got a serious question for all the owners and operators looking to increase revenue and get more new paying customers in the door. Here it is. How many times would you trade a $100 bill to receive $500 back? As many times as you could, right? That's a no-brainer. Well, here's the deal. Nick Fosberg, who's written one of the best marketing books for bars and restaurants, who's also been a guest on this podcast a number of times now, reached out to me and wants to run an experiment with my listeners. Nick is looking for a small handful of owners who have a Facebook page, and he wants to set up a promotion for them. But get this. He wants to guarantee them $500 in sales for every $100 they invest in what he is calling his VOP promotion. If he fails to do this, you don't pay a penny. That's the experiment. And just recently, he ran this same experiment to help the owner of Carl and Chell's Grill House get a 282 offers redeemed in just two weeks with net sales of $14,552. If you're interested in getting more information, go to ru500.net. That's RU for Restaurant Unstoppable 500.net or click the link in the show notes for more information. We're back, and the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Ooh. Hard work. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> what is your biggest weakness? Oh, man. Uh, hard to say no. That's a tough one, a common one, too. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for during during the interview process? Ooh. Uh, I, I try to... Uh, extract, you know, the, if there's a true professional in there, how do you know, you know, uh, they're the interview process for a candidate. I try to get them comfortable mm. and once they become comfortable, they kind of let their true it, self comes out. Yeah. What is your biggest challenge today? Ooh, time. 
have <laughs> <laughs> not enough of time. You know, I mean, it's uh, managing growth. Yep. Managing growth and aligning talent with the right set of responsibilities, right? I mean, because we're a growing team and finding the right skill set for the right job. And I think it's a big part of what I'm constantly doing. Okay. Uh, what is one code of conduct or behavior? This is like a core value you teach your team. Respect. As soon as you lose that, you get terminated. That happens not often, very seldom. But yeah, it's respect for each other. What is one standard of service you teach your team that's standard within the four walls of your restaurants, but not standard within the industry? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it, it really is, uh, you know, we seek out those that are called to the hospitality industry. You know, you have to have a servant's heart at the end of the day to work for us. Mm, I love it. Uh, what is one book to make us a better person or restaurant operator? <laughs> you, you mentioned it earlier, Setting the Table by Danny Myers. Yeah. I mean, but you know, I like to back that up with uh, Good to Great. Mm. And one of the best exercises that I ever did for my team, I felt as it was a pivotal time when we were trying to just develop, you know, our, our, our chef leadership teaching them and molding them, I printed out the Army's manual because I loved that it it really spoke to how you how are you. It explains to you and breaks down how to how to be a good leader. Mm-hmm. You know, right? Because you tell people constantly, well, you have to be a leader. Yeah, but what you, does that look like? What does that look like? And the army handbook, it's probably like four inches thick. <laughs> and I, and I, and I took a, I put it on a zip drive and I, and I went and I printed 20 copies and give one to every one of my chefs. And we read through that together over the course of six months and read it all as a, as part of our reading material as a, as a, a weekly uh, manager meeting. Awesome stuff. I wonder if I can find that online and link to it in the show notes. I'll uh, send it to you. Nice. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Share an online resource or tool, someplace you go to stay up to date or just in, you know, connected where you're learning online. Mm. Wow. Or a tool. Ooh, online. Yeah. Jeez. The world we live in today. <laughs> You know, I, I I love the work that uh, you know that uh, Tasting Table does, and that's probably one of the a f- a foodable channel. Yeah, it's one of the few that I that I look at that I really um I'm able to uh, learn from uh, by tracking them. Uh, yeah, good stuff. I'll link that in the show notes as well. And this is the last, actually, not the last, second to last question. What's one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant? And how has it had an influence on operations, uh, profitability, communication, overall efficiency, and profit? Uh, I guess productivity. Well, I mean, there's, um, I mean, technology. I, I'm just trying to create a structure of communication, and I think we have the tools. So I don't think there's anything new, but I think it's you know we we live in a world of you know, of mobile devices. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I definitely instill in my team, put it in writing and let's articulate it clearly. Take time to sit down and write down the things that are important. And let's do that as often as we can. So, I mean, I think, you know, cause I, you know, I'm the first one to pull out a notepad and start writing. I said, I can't do that. It has to, you, in other words, let's be efficient. Yeah. And let's be thorough in our writing and be clear. Let's write it clearly, right? Yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, what's the, 
what's the process? You know, what's the is process? Is there a tool you're using to, to put this in writing or to keep track of this writing or to communicate with your people? We, we have a, I have a, like a project manager templates okay. that we create that, that we, we've adapted, you know, for ourselves. Okay. But yeah, it, it's just an outline on how we communicate things internally. Dare I ask, would you be willing to share that? Sure. <laughs> nice. yeah, it's just a project manager tool that we use. So I for sure. It. Thank you. All right. This is the last question. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. <laughs> it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Oh my God. Three things. Typically I, sh- I send an interview flow to my guests. So I, I we, this was kind of a <laughs> shoot from the hip interview. We, we kind of just made it happen. Well, I think, uh, I mean, we, you know, we all have a calling. Yeah. You know, we all have a calling in life and you know, if, if, uh, you know, I, I think that, that, that is probably the, one of the most difficult things to, to really find. Find your calling. Find your calling. And uh, you, you have to be patient. Be patient. You got to be patient. It, it ain't going to come fast. And, man, you have, to, you have to do your part in developing the youth of today. Mm, yes. Find your calling. Be patient develop the youth of today. And I love it. And you know, there's one quote that I picked up. I think it was from a Rick Bayless documentary and it was like about talking with this farmer was talking and saying, we're, we're all in debt and we're in debt to those who came before us because they mm-hmm. gave us everything that we have today that we know to be true, mm-hmm. but we can't pay it back to them because they're not here anymore. So the only way we can pay back our debt is to paying it forward to the future. And, and, you know, I get that from you. I picked Mm -hmm. that up from you. So thank you so much. Uh, this has been a great conversation. I wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who do you respect and admire in this industry and believe would make a great guest mentor on this, on the show? Maybe somebody in Dallas or Austin, because that's where I'm headed next. Oh, you're headed to Austin. Ah, man. Um, there's a man in Austin who is a good friend of mine and he has been a business mentor to me. And his name is Dennis McDaniels. Dennis McDaniels. Look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. Uh, and let the folks at home know if we want to follow you, your work, your restaurants, what's the best way to follow you or, or maybe come join your team. What's the best way to connect? Yeah. So chefjohnnyhernandez.com. You got two restaurants potentially opening. So you are looking. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, oh, always yeah. looking. <laughs> All right, chef. Thank you so much. Uh, this was a great conversation. It was an honor to make a story of you or make an example of your story and your values. There is no question. My friend, you are unstoppable. Uh, My pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Chef Johnny Hernandez. What a great conversation we had in this one. Man, uh, the big takeaway for me in today's conversation is obviously uh, just the never ending pursuit to learn. Uh, constantly learning. And when he graduated uh, culinary school, he looked at his first job as a, an opportunity to, to further learn more about catering. And um, and I think that's one thing that people don't do enough. They don't take that time to really find their lane, to really uh, to be intentional with where they're getting jobs and to take jobs to access knowledge, not necessarily money. And uh, Chef Johnny, you know, he, he's picking up on that. 
uh, <laughs> that sense of just constantly growing and um, and learning. And you see it again after he opened his business. Uh, he hit a plateau. So he went and he continued to seek education, to seek advice, to seek mentors, to, to get the knowledge, to grow. Uh, and the last part of this, uh, which he mentioned early on, is just always keeping your ears open to everyone around you. You never know who you're going to learn your next lesson from. So listen to everyone who speaks to you, to, to what they have to say, uh, because they could give you a nugget. And uh, I think he's, you know, that whole mentality of like, he can't think of one mentor because he listens to everyone. The world is his mentor. Uh, and, and I think he has that same mentality today with the, the, the people he surrounded himself with, uh, these incredible people, which he says inspire him every day. And he's learning from them. So great stuff today. Uh, incredible story. Uh, again, thank you, Chef Johnny Hernandez. And as you guys are listening to this, I am in Seattle uh, doing some interviews, hoping to get some decent work done here, and then I'm going to make my way to Oregon. So if you're in Oregon, uh, I'm coming your way. Reach out to me, and then maybe if, if I still have money after all this, I might trickle my way through California. Uh, so uh, please do reach out to me. I love connecting with my listeners. I love learning what I can do to make this thing better. And uh, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much. I'm on Spotify now and Google Play, so you can find me there. If those are your uh, players of choice, I guess that's what we call them, players. Uh, And, yeah, uh, help me spread the word. That is the best compliment you can give me is by spreading the word about this podcast, about this mission of transforming our industry. If we're going to transform the industry, we need to transform our people. We do that by sharing knowledge. Uh, Be a part of this movement to transform our industry and help me out. Share the sucker. Thank you guys all so much for sticking around this long. I love you all. And until next time, peace out.